Well, hey there, China Grove First Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Trent, and I'm the new senior pastor here. And I'm excited that you've joined with us tonight. Uh, we're going to continue uh, taking a look at what does it mean to be a disciple. Uh, you know, I've continuously reminded you uh, of who we are and what we're called to do. We are disciples of Jesus, called to make disciples for Jesus as we follow uh, the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, where our Lord tells us and commissions us to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations and all peoples, uh, teaching them to obey and baptizing them. And uh, That is who we are, and that is what we are called to do. We are disciples uh, who are going to be making disciples. And so on our Wednesday nights, we've been looking at what does it mean or what does it look like for us to be disciples of Jesus. And we'll continue that tonight. But first, let me just share a few things with you. Uh, this coming Saturday, uh, our men on mission will be working again at Pastor Steve's house. Uh, last week, we had a wonderful time of fellowship and work as we cleaned the driveway and uh, fixed a fence and some fans on the inside of the home and uh, clean the outside of the house. It was just a great ministry opportunity. It was a great time of fellowship. Uh, they'll be serving again this Saturday at Pastor Steve's house. Uh, I believe they're going to meet at Brian's uh, downtown at 8.30, and they're going to try to be over at uh, Steve's around 9.15 on this coming Saturday, and that is the Men on Mission. Uh, also, I want to just let you know and continue to remind you about homecoming. Our homecoming service will be the second Sunday in October. That is October the 11th. Uh, just like this past Sunday, we're going to have a meal after the service. Now, it's going to look different. Uh, you know, COVID-19 has changed the way we do things, but uh, we can still fellowship and we can still celebrate homecoming. And so we're going to have a meal after the service. The men on missions will cook it. They'll put it in boxes and serve it uh the congregation uh, at the end of the service. And so that'll be on October the 11th. And let me encourage you uh, to be in prayer for that service, uh, be in prayer for those who will be attending. Uh, let me encourage you to invite your friends, your neighbors, your family members. Uh, maybe there's someone who hasn't attended uh, China Grove First Baptist Church in a while. You know, give them a call, send them a letter, let them know that it's a great time for them to come home and to just worship with us the second Sunday in October, October the 11th. Uh, we're also still collecting red box items. Uh, we have a box for outdoor collecting, and we're asking you to donate deodorant and to help fill the hearts of the women who are in prison. It's a wonderful prison ministry. Uh, they need to be either solid deodorants or roll-on deodorants, 2 ounces to 3.5 ounces uh, in a plastic container. And we want to thank you uh, in advance for giving to that ministry and to just being the hands and feet of Jesus through the Red Box item collection. Uh, just to give you an update, so far uh, we have uh, received $2,574.85 for Bibles for our Tanzania ministry. And so we're very grateful to see how the Lord is working uh, through that Bible ministry in Tanzania and how lives are being changed. And just continue to pray. Uh, pray about how the Lord would lead you to continue to give and to support the purchasing of Bibles that we'll send to Tanzania. Uh, and then last, uh, the month of September is, an is emphasizing the North Carolina Missions Offering as well as the Heck Jones Missions Offering. 
uh, two wonderful organizations that are doing wonderful mission work across the state of North Carolina, the United States, and around the world. Uh, our goal for the missions offering is $500, and so far we have collected $100, so 400 more to go. And I would just encourage you to, again, pray on how the Lord would lead you to give to support the Heck Jones Missions Offering. That's a WMU offering. And then the North Carolina Baptist Offering. And we'll be sharing some more information about those two uh, organizations on Sunday mornings. And just want to invite you to be here Sunday at 10. Bring a lawn chair, sit in your car. We're going to continue studying the book of Nehemiah. We'll be looking at Nehemiah chapter 2 in a series called Rebuild and restore. So that'll be Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, let's go to the Lord for a time of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather. Uh, Father, we thank you for the technology that we have that makes it possible for us to still be able to gather. Uh, we can gather as the church through the uh, Facebook and YouTube and uh, through the website and we can still study God's Word together. It's a little different, but we know you are still moving and you are still active. And, Father, as we dive into uh, a deeper understanding of how to study the Word of God tonight, we pray that you would reveal to us some truths that we can apply to our lives, that you would help us to commit to a life of studying and reading the Word of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we... Uh, took a look at the importance of having a daily Bible reading time. And uh, we talked a little bit about how disciples were uh, kind of organized back in the New Testament days and, and how they would go through this series of educational levels. Uh, and as they reached uh, kind of the graduate level education, that uh, students around the age 15 would approach a rabbi and the rabbi would give them a series of tests to see if they made the cut. Uh, and if they did, then the rabbi would say, yes, you can follow me. Uh, Jesus' process of disciple-making started out different. Uh, they didn't come to Jesus. Jesus came to them, and Jesus sought out the 12 disciples, and he said, hey, follow me. And in fact, he didn't give them a series of tests. They didn't have to uh, make the grade or conform to a certain set of standards. It was, come follow me just as you are. Uh, and I love that. I love that how Jesus invites us into a relationship with him to be his disciples. And, and then our response to that is to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, or no, I'm not going to follow Jesus. And uh, it's amazing to see how uh, God's calling to follow and our responsibility to choose to follow kind of work hand in hand in the disciple-making process. Reading God's word is essential to being a disciple, but a disciple because we need to learn from who he is. And last week I shared with you a journaling method that is so helpful. It's the HEAR, H-E-A-R, journal method. Uh, we, we, we take a passage of scripture and then we highlight a verse that stands out to us. We then try to explain that verse. And then we uh, H-E-A, we apply that verse to our life, and then we respond with a written prayer. It's the HEAR method of journaling. It's been something that has helped me. And I'll just share with you, a lot of the material that I'm using uh, comes from a book called Growing Up. It's a little backwards, I think, on your screen. But Growing Up by Robbie Gallaty. Uh, he also has a book called Rediscovering Discipleship. 
Uh, it's just some wonderful resources. A lot of the material I'm sharing with you uh, comes from those books, especially tonight. Um, a lot of the material comes from the Growing Up book. Uh, but you know, as I think about reading the Bible and studying the Bible, something I hear often from people is, you know, Pastor Trent, I just have a hard time understanding the Bible. Uh, I have a hard time studying the Bible, or I don't know what to do or where to begin. Um, you know, I can read it, but it doesn't always make sense to me. Uh, and a lot of people struggle with that, and I struggle with that. There are times when I just don't understand what I'm reading. Uh, but, you know, that's a misconception that we can't understand the Bible, uh, because we can. You and I can just open up the Word of God, and we can read it, and we can understand it. Another misconception is that there are many, many meanings, that the Bible can mean one thing to me and one thing to you. and Well, that's not true either. You see, the Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Uh, God said what he meant, and he means what he says, and uh, he inspired the original authors to write. Uh, they wrote in their style and using their words, but the meaning was certainly inspired by God, and it means exactly what God wants it to mean, uh, and there is one meaning. There may be many applications, but as we interpret and understand the Bible, it's important to understand it means today what it meant when it was originally written. There is one meaning because it was God's way of revealing himself to us. It was his special revelation as he reveals to us truths. In fact, our confession of faith, the Baptist faith and message of 2000 says this, that we as Southern Baptists believe that God's word is written by men, divinely inspired by God. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error. Man, that is just an awesome way to talk about the Bible. It has God as its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error. Because it is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about going treasure hunting and, and finding just a treasure chest of gold that would make you rich and you wouldn't have to work ever again. And that would be awesome. And so when I think about a divine treasure of a divine treasure or a treasure of divine instruction, I'm thinking, man, we have at our disposal a resource that God has given us to guide us through and help us to navigate the hardships of life, the good times of life, and, and each and every day we grow closer to him because the goal of the Christian life is to be more and more like Jesus. And the way we become more and more like Jesus is by reading the word of God, interpreting, it, interpreting the word of God, and applying the word of God to our lives. And it is possible for you and I to be able to do this. Second Peter says this, above all, you must Understand that no prophecy of Scripture came by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, that passage tells us that through the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I can understand 
God's Word. And that's really the first step in understanding the Bible. It's knowing that when you decide to follow Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells in you, and it's the Spirit of God that will empower you and equip you to be able to rightly divide and to interpret the Word of God. It is the Spirit of God that guides us to the truth of God's Word. He is our helper as we navigate some of the more difficult passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14 says this, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. See, it is through the Spirit of God, ultimately, that comes understanding of God's Word. So that is the first step, realizing that we are not alone in this process. And that should encourage you that God sent the Spirit to help us interpret his word and to understand it. But the next step in the understanding process is a method. It's just a tool that we can use. And uh, one of the most popular tools, a tool that I like, it was made popular by K. Arthur and a few others, is called the inductive Bible study method. It's the method where we let Scripture interpret Scripture. You see, you don't need a lot of tools or a lot of resources. You can have the Bible and be able to interpret the Bible with the Bible. There are three steps in the inductive Bible study method that I want to share with you and teach you tonight. And then at the end, we're actually going to take a passage of Scripture and I'm going to walk you through how the inductive Bible study method works. But the first step in this method is observation. What do I see in the text? What jumps out to me as I'm reading it? It's important to know that when we start with observation, we have to read the text. We have to reread the text. We have to re-reread the text. And sometimes we just read it over and over and over. I've talked to pastors and I've read about uh, some of the early church fathers and some uh, very uh, good, wonderful historical pastors, and they would read the text 50 to 100 times before they ever put pen to paper in writing a sermon. They would try to see everything they could see in the text. They would just, uh, just at the very beginning stages, they would dissect what the Bible is saying and what they are seeing as they read. One, uh, one teacher uh, who uh, takes the students and he's teaching this method, and he will make his students write a minimum of 70 observations about each verse in the Bible. And as we begin the observation process, we just, just write down things that we see and we ask questions of the text and questions that we'll try to answer when we get into the explanation stage. Uh, but observations include who is the author? Who's writing this? Who is he writing to? Who are the recipients? Who are the main characters of the text? What is happening in the text? And this is the context of the verse. What is happening before and what is happening after? We 
uh, track down what are the key words, what are some words that really stand out and pop off the page as we're reading it. Uh, one thing that I learned is track the verbs. Verbs are so important. And so track the verbs through the passage. We ask questions. When does it take place? Why is it being written? And how is it being written? We're like investigators. We're investigating and we're asking questions and we're answering some key questions as we highlight the words for further study. I know for me, as I look through it, when I see a word that I, I don't quite understand, I'll say, hey, I wonder what this means. And then I'll do a word study. Um, in some cases, I will, you know, we have access to the computer and multiple translations on our computers. Uh, I try to study seven or eight different translations. And if I see a difference in, in meaning or in words from one translation to the next, that's an indication to me that I need to study that word and see what that word really uh, means and try to kind of dig down to the bottom of it. But we, we discover all those things in our observation stage. But then we go into explanation. And this is where we try to uh, discover biblical principles of the text. Any questions that we had from our observation stage, we try to answer in the explanation stage. We are going to study the facts and answer the questions as we begin to explain the verse. We study those key words and we try to find out what that word meant. And one way to do that is find out how that word is used in other places of Scripture. A concordance uh, is very helpful in this process, and there are many free resources on the Internet. Uh, Blue Letter Bible is a good place to start uh, that will help you track down how these words are being used. We're going to say, well, how does this passage fit into the whole chapter it's in? How does it fit into the whole book of the Bible? And then how does it fit into the Bible as a whole? Those are all things we're going to look at as we explain the text. A very important question to ask in the explanation process is, how does it point to Christ? You see, from Genesis to Revelation, everything points to Jesus as the Savior. And so how does this passage point to Christ? And then the last question we ask is, how was the original readers different than me? How would the original readers have interpreted what the author is trying to say? Now, I'll be honest, this stage of explanation takes a little bit of work. But, you know, everything that takes work has good consequences most of the time. You know, I work really hard in a garden and reap a wonderful harvest of squash and cucumbers. When we take the time to answer questions and explain the text, we find some of those treasures of scriptures that are helpful to life. Now, some of the tools that you may need in the explanation process is a good study Bible. Uh, I use the ESV study Bible. Uh, the John MacArthur study Bible is good. Uh, the NLT life application study Bible is good. There's many wonderful study Bibles available. Uh, but study Bibles are very helpful with wonderful commentary notes to help us explain the text. Another tool would be a good Bible dictionary, like Harper's Bible Dictionary or uh, I like the Vines Complete Expository Bible Dictionary. And, these, and so that's all a part of the explanation process. And what we're trying to do is come up with a biblical principle for that passage. The last step is application. This is where we say, what do I do? Right? What do I need to do? We've worked really hard to observe. We've worked really hard to explain. 
Now, what do I do with what I've learned? Uh, when I was a math teacher for a couple of years, every day, every day, a student would walk in and say, well, Mr. Dry, why do we need to know this? Why do I need to know ge geometrical principles? Why do I need to know all these theorems and postulates? And I'm going to be honest with you. In some days, it was just like, because I told you, you need to know. Okay, I couldn't come up with a good reason. But when we study the Bible, there is a reason. Uh, there are theological applications. Sometimes it's just things we need to know. Uh, but then there are practical applications that say, this is how this is going to apply to my life. James 1 uh, 22 to 24 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget, forgets what he looks like. And so what James is saying is, listen, read the word, but then apply it to your life. Do what it says to do. And we ask questions you know, as we read the text. Well, what is this text commanding me to do? Is there a command in there? What does the principle mean for me today? What would my life look like if I did fill in the blank with the application? You see, we discover the meaning through observation and explanation, but then the application stage is how we live that principle out in our daily life. And so we want to observe the text, we want to explain the text, we want to apply it to our life. Now, what I'd like to do in the last few minutes that we have is open up God's Word and show you what this looks like with a passage. Um, it is a passage that Robbie Gallaty dissects in his book, and I'll just use it as an example for us today as well. But it's Philippians 4.13 a passage that many of us are familiar with, and we've seen it and we've used it, but Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What does that verse mean? Well, let's make a few observations of the text. First, who is the author? The author of Philippians is the Apostle Paul. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the church in Philippi. And so that's just a little bit of what he's been doing. Uh, you know, throughout the book, he's been talking about joy and unity. Um, and then he, he comes to this, as he's closing up the book, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And so one of the observations that I would have is, what does all things mean? That would be a key phrase that I would highlight. Uh, what does through him mean would be a key observation, I would ask. Who is the him? Uh, I mean, who is the him? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And uh, that may be an obvious answer to that question, but I would write that down um, as one of my questions. Uh, you know, as I look at the context, what's happening before and what's happening after, Paul's coming to the conclusion. Um, if you look at the verses leading up to verse 13, he talks about he's experienced times of need and he's experienced times when he's had plenty. Uh, in fact, uh, if you start in verse 10 to give us the context, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Hmm, it's an interesting context there. Paul has experienced a time when he's been in need and then a time when he's had plenty. And he uses that word content twice. He's learned how to have content. So, hmm, I wonder if there's a connection there. Again, just observations. And then we get into the explanation side of the text where we're trying to answer the questions. We're trying to examine what Paul means in the text. What is he saying? Well, I think what he's saying when you put it in context is he learned contentment through difficulty in life. When life doesn't go his way, he can be content. What it's not talking about is some superhuman strength that says, I'm going to go out on the highway, uh, you know, uh, 85, and I'm going to stop an 18-wheeler, and I'm going to take one hand and lift it up. Well, you know, if God wanted you to, you could, but that's not what he's talking about here. It's not superhuman strength to lift up an 18-wheeler. That's not that I can do all things. That's not what he is talking about. What he's saying is that through Christ, he has the strength to push forward and to survive no matter what life's circumstances are. He says that I can have joy with little because I have much in Christ. Ooh, that's a statement right there. What he's saying is I can be content and have joy with little because I have so much in Christ Jesus. And a major theme of the book is joy. So you see how it's kind of all connecting together? And so as we look at the explanation, I think the principle that we would gain from this is very simple. When life gets me down, Christ holds me up. When life gets me down, Christ holds me up because my strength is not in my circumstances. My strength is not in my checkbook. My strength is not in, you know, my job. My strength is not in my friends or my family alone. My strength is in Christ Jesus. And so what is the application to that? Well, the application is when life, just a cliche statement, when life throws me lemons, make lemonade. Have joy. Have contentment. No matter what I face today, Jesus will strengthen me. And he will give me joy. And I know that's a very quick way of doing it. But my challenge to you is to start practicing the inductive Bible study method. Don't get frustrated. It may take some time, but practice, practice, practice. Pray, 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 and let the Spirit of God guide you into a lifelong journey of being a disciple of Jesus. Have a wonderful rest of your week. God bless. Thanks for joining us.